Good afternoon, Lafayette. This is Joe Cunningham here on the Joe Cunningham Show, News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542 if you want to call in and be part of the program. And let's start off today by talking about how nervous the Democrats are over some new polling that is out. Uh, have this up on the show notes, which are live on kpel965.com. Be sure to go there, check on that, see all of the topics for today that I do talk about, and even some of the ones that I may not hit in our hour together. So the AARP commissioned a poll, and they used a Democratic and a Republican pollster to conduct the poll. So it is a, a totally bipartisan, nonpartisan, whatever you want to call it, poll. The survey was conducted by Trump pollster Tony Fabrizio and Biden pollster John Anzalone for the AARP. And it shows several things among voters 50 plus. And the data has a lot of Democrats worried. Now, overall, there is some data out there that shows the Democrats are bouncing back just a little bit. Echelon Insights, who I've referenced before, has some data out there showing a bit of a bump for Democrats. In fact, a recent survey that they looked into has generic ballot Democrats up plus seven over registered voters and up plus four over likely voters, which is good for the Democrats. A lot of the polling has had Republicans up on the generic ballot. However, this is a little bit of an outlier, but we have seen the generic ballot kind of trending back toward the Democrats. However, the AARP poll is not good for Democrats. Now, why is that? The poll is 1,200 likely voters ages uh, 18 and up from 56 U.S. House districts that the Cook Political Report rated as lean or toss-up as of June 29th. So these are 56 battleground congressional districts. Here's the problem for the Democrats. The poll was conducted in districts that uh, voted... Large uh, overall vote, uh, they, they voted for President Biden by a six point margin. Okay. The generic ballot right now has Republicans with a four point advantage over the generic Democrat on the ballot. So, in other words, the worst case scenario here is a Nine, I'm sorry, a 10 point shift in these districts. Let's dive into the numbers because what the AARP poll is particularly looking at is its core customer base, the AARP. The breakdowns that we see in the demographics really come down to those who are over 50 years old. There's a reason that this data is so important. Older voters are the most regular voters there are. 
most consistent voters, the ones who will go to, on primary day and election day, consistently go out to vote. Democrats have been trying, they've been talking about, oh, how, how the, the young vote agrees with them and they poll really well among young voters, but young voters do not show up at the polls. Here's the bad news for the Democrats. Among voters aged 50 to 64, Republicans hold an 11-point advantage. Among voters 65 plus, Republicans hold an 8-point advantage. Among men aged 50 and up, Republicans hold a 20-point lead. White voters over 50, Republicans lead 16. Hispanic voters over 50, those who have been traditionally Democrat, Democrat plus 5. Black voters, it should come as no surprise, Democrat plus 49. Asian, American, and Pacific Islander, 50 and up. Democrats, plus three. It should come as no shock to anyone that the Hispanic and Asian American vote in particular, the margins are going down for the Democrats, and younger Hispanic voters are trending toward the GOP. Those Hispanic voters in particular who are trying to raise families in America, maybe first or second generation Americans born into the country after their families immigrated here, trying to get their kids into the best American education systems possible, trying to get into good economic position, trying to make the American dream happen for them. They are trending toward the right. And even Hispanic voters ages 50 and up who have traditionally been Democrats Democrats have only a slight advantage in this AARP poll. This is making a lot of Democrats very, very nervous. Here's how Axios breaks it down. Joe Biden's job approval sits at 37% with 61% disapproving of his performance 50% of voters approve of Trump, higher than in other recent polls, while 49% disapprove. Half of Republicans polled rated economic issues as their top priority in this year's midterms, with immigration a distant second at 16%. For Democrats, just 26 rated economic issues as most important, with abortion at 20% and voting rights at 13%. Respondents rated the Republicans as the party best equipped to deal with economic concerns, crime and immigration, and Democrats held the advantage on abortion, health care, and social security. Health care and social security being something very important to those polled in an AARP poll. Older voters, though, are leaning more and more to the Republican Party, which is a bad sign for the Democrats because those are the most active voters on the voter rolls. This bodes particularly well 
for Louisiana. And I'm going to tell you why after this break. 232-1542 if you want to call in and be part of the program. Also, if you have any questions, you feel free to email me, joe at redstate.com, or reach out on Twitter at Joe P. Cunningham or Facebook.com slash Joe Cunningham Show. We're going to take a break and be back in just a moment here on the Joe Cunningham Show. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5. KPL 232-1542 if you want to call in and be part of the program. So all of the Louisiana GOP congressional delegation has qualified for the upcoming midterm elections. I think everybody's drawn an opponent. Nobody's expecting any of those opponents to unseat the current congressmen and women. But Greg Hilburn has a story uh, for the USA Today Network. You can check it out at theadvertiser.com. Louisiana GOP congressional delegation qualifies for re-election. Eyes House leadership. Republicans are favored by virtually all analysts of regaining the majority in the House following the fall elections. That means Louisiana's Republican representatives are in line to land plum assignments if they win re-election. All are favored in their races, though all have drawn opponents this week. At the top is Scalise, who is the minority whip and could rise to majority leader if Republicans gain control, which would place him in the number two leadership position in the House behind only the Speaker, who is favored to be Kevin McCarthy of California. Now, again, you guys know my views on Kevin McCarthy. I would rather see Steve Scalise as the Speaker of the House. Not just because it benefits Louisiana, but because he is a stronger Republican. And he has, I mean, he is a walking embodiment of left-wing political violence, which I want to get into toward the end of the show. Referring to Congressman Lee Zeldin in New York and what happened there. Uh, let's see who's next. Uh, Garrett Graves uh, has a position as the top Republican on the Aviation Subcommittee of Transportation. Mike Johnson has seen a rapid rise during his first three terms, and uh, recently became the leadership. Of the uh, he, he became, recently got a leadership spot as vice chair of the Republican Caucus. Higgins is set to become the ranking Republican on the Homeland Security Committee. And Julia Letlow has landed a spot on the powerful Appropriations Committee, which is a rare seat for a rare feat for a freshman, according to Hilburn. And Scalise said that her parents' Bill of Rights will be incorporated into the Republicans' commitment to America if she wins re-election. Now, the commitment to America is kind of the Republicans' uh, plan uh, kind of in the vein of the 1990s era contract with America, if you remember that. So there are a bunch of Republicans from Louisiana looking at top leadership spots in the House of Representatives, which is great for the state. And I sincerely hope that Louisiana's congressman can ascend even higher again. Kevin McCarthy is a terrible leader who has not found a fence he couldn't sit on. He will lick his finger and stick it up in the air to see which way the political winds are blowing in order to make a political decision. He's just awful at his job. He's a man who is addicted to the power and the position and not the actual work of representing 
Republicans and conservatives in the House of Representatives. We can do better. It doesn't have to be Scalise. Now, Scalise will be the number two guy behind him. And I think Scalise is just a better option. Republicans can do without McCarthy. Now, that also brings me to the state level. And I want to look at this piece from Jeremy Alford. Also at the advertiser, this is part of Alford's syndicated column. There's already talk about which lawmakers might succeed Clay Sheck Snyder as Speaker of the House in Baton Rouge. And Sheck Snyder is very McCarthy-esque, not Joe McCarthy-esque, Kevin McCarthy-esque. He is somebody who is not truly a conservative, does not truly have Republican interests at heart, just liked the power and liked being there. But there are several lawmakers already positioning themselves to be speaker, to run for speaker after the 2023 elections. According to Alford's column, several lawmakers interviewed for the column say they've heard campaign pitches primarily from four potential GOP candidates for speaker, including Commerce Chair Paula Davis of Baton Rouge, Representative Brett Guyman of Lake Charles, Conservative Caucus Chair Jack McFarland of Winfield, and Representative Neil Reiser of Columbia. Additional names will most certainly surface soon. In the coming months, all of them will look for opportunities to showcase their leadership and to help their colleagues raise money and get elected. Current second-timers are going to have to hustle, said Stuart Bishop. You've got 59 first-termers in the House right now, and there are more freshmen coming in behind them in the new term. I lean toward Paula Davis or Jack McFarland, right off the top. But none of the four names, Brett Guyman maybe causes a little bit of concern, but none of those four, Riser, McFarland, Guyman, or Davis, would be as bad a choice as Clay Shacksnyder. The, way, the only way this works for Republicans in Baton Rouge, however, is if Republicans get their act together and get a Republican into the governor's mansion and a good conservative Republican. Which takes me back to yesterday. I talked a bit, and I've, I had a few people actually reach out and say, wow, you're way more passionate on this than I thought you would be. And I'm talking about the John Schroeder, Jeff Landry thing. It will shock no one to know that the advocate took John Schroeder's uh, side in that particular story. Should not shock anybody. But they did. Uh, the, the news that was written there, su such as you could call it, uh, very much favored uh, John Schroeder. Here's the headline. State Treasurer scolds Jeff Landry's efforts to withhold funding from New Orleans over abortion. 
Schroeder and Landry are both Republicans whose political bases include many of the same conservative voters. Both are considering runs for governor next year because Democratic Governor John Bill Edwards cannot serve a third term. Schroeder said that although he is an ardent supporter of the abortion ban and was angered by New Orleans officials saying they would not enforce the ban and prosecute those performing abortions, he thinks dragging the Bond Commission into the fray is unwise. And in that moment, John Schroeder ensured, I think he ensured that he doesn't have a chance come next year. I could be wrong, but at that moment, he gave Jeff Landry all the help he needs in the upcoming election. This was a stupid hill to die on. I said it yesterday, I'll say it again. But if it gets to be a bitter fight between Republicans, then you know another Democrat could very well slip in. I'm going to hold that thought. We will talk about it a bit more after this bottom of the hour news break. In the meantime, 232-1542, if you want to call in and take part in the conversation here on the Joe Cunningham Show, News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL, 232-1542, if you want to call in and be part of the program. So yeah, I'm I'm back on the the Schroeder Jeff Landry thing because it it kind of fits into everything else. Uh, you know, the data shows the Republicans are definitely on the upswing in the midterms, and you can expect that Louisiana is going to remain largely Republican in this election and of course next year's election. And Jeremy Alford has a column out today talking about the, potent, the, the names being tossed around for Speaker of the House in Baton Rouge in the state legislature come next year. Again, that's all fine. None of the names are as bad as Sheck Snyder. The problem is going to be who will our governor be? At this point, based on what happened yesterday, I've got to say it's going to be Jeff Landry. I don't see if John Schroeder is actually going to be a serious candidate after yesterday. Again, from the advocate story, which was very much in favor of John Schroeder and very anti-Jeff Landry, Schroeder said that although he is an ardent supporter of of the abortion ban and was angered by the New Orleans officials saying they would not enforce the ban and prosecute those performing abortions, he thinks dragging the Bond Commission into the fray is unwise. The attorney general has the ability to go and enforce state law, said Schroeder, reading aloud from several state laws that say just that. He's got plenty of tools. It's his job, not mine. Deputy Attorney General Emily Andrews argued that withholding financing is the one true way state government can ensure local government enforces the law. They broke the Constitution, Andrews said about the New Orleans actions. Schroeder pointed out that Landry was not at the Bond Commission meeting yesterday because he was speaking to the Alliance Defending Freedom's Religious Liberties Conference in Lake Oconee, Georgia. If Landry was really that concerned, Schroeder said, he would have been here. And that right there shows that this is political. Schroeder says he's not trying to make this a he's not trying to bring a political issue into this Bond Commission meeting. But even Kyle Ardwan said they should all be impeached. All those folks in New Orleans should be impeached. You don't get to pick and choose which rules to follow. 
And then Schroeder started going after the fact that nothing was done when Landry refused to comply with masking mandates required under an emergency executive order during the pandemic. And that if the point was to discipline New Orleans, why had Landry not tried to block hundreds of millions of dollars of funding authorized for other New Orleans projects, including at the airport, which the commission approved without comment on Thursday? Schroeder's working really hard to try to call Jeff Landry a hypocrite and try to say that Jeff Landry is playing politics on the Bond Commission. And I really, really think, and I know you heard it yesterday and you're probably tired of me saying it, but I really, really think he, he, he made a major mistake here. The Democrats don't have a successor to John Bell Edwards. But the Democrats really didn't have anybody when John Edwards first ran. John Edwards was just kind of the, the guy who was available. He, he, well, he, he was it, and it was a lightning in the bottle moment, and John Bell Edwards won because the Republican Party couldn't get its act together. Here's Scott McKay at the Hayride writing about the Bond Commission. It seems like everything going on with regards to poor Republican leadership, he's saying, relates to what happened yesterday at the State Bond Commission in Louisiana, which overwhelmingly passed a resolution sponsored by Attorney General Jeff Landry deferring a $39 million infrastructure project in New Orleans. I'm going to point out one specific item in the story, McKay writes, namely that for 15 or 20 minutes during the Bond Commission meeting, Treasurer John Schroeder proceeded to lambast Landry for bringing the deferral. He whined that Landry doesn't do anything on the Bond Commission other than use it to make trouble, and he decried politics being played at the Bond Commission, and so on. He even complained about Landry fighting Edwards' mask mandates and tried to equate that with Latoya Cantrell and the gang threatening to break state law. And then Schroeder voted for the measure Landry pushed, as did practically everyone else with the exception of the two John Bell Edwards appointees to the Bond Commission. If you were going to vote for it anyway, why did you take 15 to 20 minutes to complain about Jeff Landry for playing politics with the Bond Commission? Unless you too were playing politics and trying to set yourself up as some sort of common sense alternative to the extremely political Jeff Landry. That's the only way that what Schroeder did makes sense. And here's what's going to happen. If the Republican Party does not actually make sure that Republicans focus their attention when it comes time to campaign season for governor on the Democrats and where the state is under Democratic leadership, we're going to get another John Bell Edwards, whether it's Luke Mixon, whether it's somebody else from the legislature, whatever. We're going to end up with another governor in the, uh, with another Democrat in the governor's mansion because John Schroeder is already setting himself up to be Jay Darden. 
He's setting himself up to be the Republican who's going to go out there and blast his opponent rather than blast Democratic leadership in the state for the last eight years. He will be Jay Darden. He will be Eddie Responi. And he will cost Jeff Landry or somebody else the race. He will be the spoiler in the race. I don't think he will be responding in terms of actually getting the nominate or getting to move on to the general against whoever the Democrat is. But I think he will do a lot of harm to that person. All but, and, and it, it, I'm saying all this because he spent 15 to 20 minutes at a bond commission hearing to complain about Jeff Landry playing politics only to vote for Jeff Landry's proposal. Because ultimately, Schroeder knew that if he voted to give that funding, or I mean, even just open that line of credit, because that's what it wasn't even giving money, it was just opening a line of credit to New Orleans after they declared that they would not uphold Louisiana's abortion ban. Even Schroeder knew, despite how dumb the, the, the complaining was, he knew that if he stood on the side of abortion, he would not be a viable candidate in the Republican Party. So why do it in the first place? Why raise hell about it in the bond commission hearing in the first place? It doesn't make sense. That's why we have to make sure that we are getting the right Republicans in the legislature, the right Republicans in leadership, the right Republican candidates at the state and federal level. Because we have congressmen who are going to sit on uh, committees in the U.S. House of Representatives. And by and large, they're good ones. All we need to do is get rid of Cassidy. We have Republicans in key spots in Washington, D.C., from the state of Louisiana. Largely good Republicans. We have some decent names being thrown out there for Speaker of the House next year. We have some decent names running for governor next year. But the Clay Schecksneiders, the Paige Cortezes, and now apparently the John Schroeders of Louisiana continue to get in the way and prevent Louisiana conservatives from actually getting things done at the state level because they're too busy trying to get the positive coverage from the advocate, from the USA Today network papers, from the TV stations. They would rather the good press, they would rather the reporters be on their side. And you know good and well, that the moment a, a decent enough Democratic name jumps into the governor's race next year, it doesn't matter what John Schroeder did at yesterday's bond commission hearing. They're going to side with that Democrat, and they're going to say that John Schroeder is too extreme and too conservative and too Republican to manage the state effectively. You know they're going to do that. Schroeder should know they're going to do that. But here we are. 
Another Republican pandering to the advocate, pandering to the USA Today papers, the Gannett papers, and completely ignoring what the job is. The job of the Bond Commission is to fund projects, and the Bond Commission can withhold that money if a municipality is going to absolutely straight up violate Louisiana law, encourage the violation of Louisiana law. You don't get state money if you're not going to follow the law. It's as simple as that. But Schroeder wanted to raise a stink about it. 232-1542, let's take a break. We'll come back in our last segment, hit a couple more topics of the day. Your calls, if you want to join in, here on the Joe Cunningham Show, News Talk 96.5 KPL. You know, before we wrap up for the day, last night was the last televised primetime January 6th hearing on the schedule. And uh, they spent a lot of time making fun of Josh Hawley running away from the Capitol. And I really don't have much to say because I didn't watch the hearing. What's interesting to me is that we're looking at the ratings and Fox News, which didn't show the hearing, still won. Overall, Fox News still won the day with 1.71 million total viewers to MSNBC's 1.66 million total viewers. MSNBC won across primetime as it brought in some 4.88 million total viewers from 8 to 10 p.m. during the primetime hearing of the House Select Committee's investigating uh, of the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol. This is from Mediaite. CNN brought in 3.18 million total viewers during the hearing, which was still not enough to top Tucker Carlson tonight at 8 p.m., which brought in 3.36 million total viewers. Fox News did not air the primetime January 6th hearings. CNN did top Hannity at 9 p.m. And overall, Fox News, like I said, won the day. Fox also won in the key 25 to 54 age demographic with 248,000 demo viewers just beating CNN's 243,000 demo viewers. CNN brought in a whopping 803 demo viewers during the hearing, beating MSNBC's 645,000. In other words, Fox News did not have to show the January 6th hearing to win the day in the ratings. The hearing, the primetime hearing, was won, or the primetime spot, 8 to 11 p.m. primetime, was won by MSNBC for people who tuned in to that hearing. CNN was just ahead of Fox News in primetime for that spot overall, with 2.73 million uh, viewers to Fox News is 2.66. So in other words... What is the point of CNN? The people who care about January 6th went to MSNBC. The people who didn't care about January 6th went to Fox News. CNN was able to bump up its ratings a little bit. 
But the majority of the people who care about the January 6th hearings went to MSNBC. Very telling. Very telling. And without the primetime January 6th hearings, Fox News will go right back on top. The Democrats, and yes, I'm including Adam Kinzinger and Liz Cheney in this, have made it a point to care more about January 6th than any of the issues currently affecting voters. These hearings are going to stop. And there may be some headlines when the committee decides to release a report of their findings. But this is the end of July. And you have August, September, October, and the beginning of November. Essentially, you have three and a half months until the election. And the January 6th stuff is going to dry up. But you know what's not going to dry up? The problems at the poll, the problems uh, with inflation, the problems with the economy. None of that is going to change via the Washington Post. The labor market until now of pillar of economic resilience is showing cracks. Job growth is slowing. Unemployment claims are ticking up. And several big companies, including Apple and Meta, are putting hiring plans on hold. There are signs that more firms are slashing jobs in industries as varied as tech, advertising, healthcare, finance, and law. Convenience store chain 7-Eleven laid off 880 corporate uh, workers in Texas and Ohio. Ford is planning to cut 8,000 positions. Electric car maker Rivian is cutting 700 positions. Delivery startup GoPuff is is laying off 1,500. Mortgage lender Loan Depot is slashing 4,800 jobs this year. The Biden administration has been touting how wonderful the job market is, despite the fact that we have millions of unfilled jobs. And in virtually every industry... Employers are having to cut back their job openings. They're, ha- they're, they're no longer hiring for positions they were hiring for. They are having to cut staff at some of their physical locations. First-time filings for unemployment benefits rose by 7,000 last week and are up 51% from mid-March. The economy is still in horrible shape. And we still have a lot of signs that there is a recession coming and no amount of prime time hearings on the January 6th riot at the Capitol will change that. And I go back to what I said at the beginning of the show, the most active voter base in the country, 50 years plus voters are siding with Republicans by four points. Doom and despair for the Democrats. That's it. We're going to take a nice weekend off here on the Joe Cunningham Show, but stick around. I'll be joining Shannon on Offsides in just a few minutes. In the meantime, reach out on Twitter, Facebook, wherever you want to reach out. Also, check out the podcast version of the show on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Y'all have a great weekend and talk to you again soon here on News Talk 96.5 KPL.